So this morning we're going to be in Matthew 18. I'm not going to read the whole section because it's quite a few verses as Jesus tells a parable. Uh, what's going on is he's hanging out with his disciples as they you know, were doing work in the ministry, doing different things. And Peter asks a question that actually starts with the idea of forgiveness. And I'm going to kind of back that into anger here in a minute. But the story goes that Peter asks a question and Jesus answers with a parable. He would do that from time to time. And this one is one of my favorites. It's about a king who wants to settle accounts with all of his servants. So they all owe him different amounts of money and he wants to call that all in. So the king has the servant come to him and this particular servant owed him 10,000 talents. Now, until I started studying the Bible and kind of learning these things, I wouldn't have no clue what a talent is, especially as far as money goes. I would think of like a skill. But 10,000 talents is essentially equivalent to 200,000 years of salary. So some people thought I was going to say $200,000 or something like that. 200,000 years of salary. In our modern uh, currencies and with inflation and all that, this would be roughly six to eight billion dollars that this servant owed the king. And the king says, there's no way you're repaying this. So I'm selling you and your family. I'm going to take that profit. That's all I'm going to get out of this. But then that's going to, you know, settle this situation. The servant falls on his knees and pleads with the king and says, have patience. I will pay you everything. And we're reading here, we just looked at how much money that is, and we're all kind of thinking like, how? Six to eight billion dollars. Like, nobody's just going to come up with that. Oh, I have found it in the couch. The king, though, sees his plea and has pity on him. And he releases him and forgives the debt. So he doesn't even have to pay it at all. Which, as we've seen, would have taken his whole life to even make a dent. And so this same servant, who is just forgiven of 10,000 talents, goes out now, he's free of his, his debt, he's good to go, and he finds his fellow servant. Okay, now this guy owed the first servant 100 denarii. Now that's another one where I, you know, no clue what that means. But a denarius, when you look it up, one denarius is what they would get paid for one day's wage. So one day of work equals one denarius. So a hundred equals a hundred days, which you know was about four months because we'd take off the weekends. And the first servant knows this, sees him, and decides, I'm going to grab this guy. The Bible tells us he physically grabs him, and he starts choking him, and he demands him that he pay what he owe. And the second servant falls on his knees and pleads and says, Have patience. I will pay you everything. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But the first servant refuses and throws him in prison. And you just think that that kind of escalated quickly. It went from... He's, you know, debt-free to he finds the guy who owes him a little bit of money. 
He starts choking him, demands the money, and throws him in prison when he can't pay it. Um, we often think of anger as just what happens. What I mean by that is if, you know, we've all been kids or our kids, if a mom or a dad or a teacher is angry, we, we kind of see it, right? It happens. So because of that, we sometimes struggle to kind of define what it means for everybody. And it's, it takes one of those, I know it when I see it, you know, definitions. Well, the first servant in this paragraph, uh, I'm sorry, parable is definitely showing us that he's angry, right? If you're grabbing somebody and choking them and demanding things from them, you're pretty angry. It reminds me of another classic picture of anger. This one is Homer being angry all the time, right? This is like at least once an episode of The Simpsons. Whatever happened, Homer gets upset, takes it out on Bart, right? Says, why you little? And grabs him. And we never know if Bart is genuinely guilty. Sometimes he definitely is. Sometimes Homer's just upset. But one thing we know for sure, it's very clear that he's angry. And so we know it when we see it. And even though it may take seeing anger to know it, we're going to give it a definition and go through some facts and how we can handle our anger. So first, what is anger? If we go by definitions, if you look it up in the dictionary, this is a combination of Webster's Dictionary and the Oxford Dictionary. It's a strong feeling of displeasure. It makes you want to hurt someone or be unpleasant because of something unfair or unkind that happened. So that's what the dictionary says about anger, what the world would tell you anger is. Oh, I looked it up. Here it is. The Bible tells us something a little different. The Bible will, will teach us that it is the response of our heart. Okay, all of our actions come from our heart. So we have to include that. The response of our heart to a situation or someone else's actions that we perceive to be unjust or unfair. And so because of that, the Bible adds that layer that it's our heart responding. It's not just us feeling upset and uh, displeased and recognizing something's unjust or unfair. It's our heart acknowledging it and what our heart does to it, the lens that we're looking at the situation, and then how we respond to it. So a couple of things that, until I read this, this book that I'm, I'm using, it's called Respectable Sins, it's by Jerry Bridges, and basically what he's saying is, these are sins that we've become okay with. That's what he means by respectable, like we allow them because they're the okay sins. And when I started reading this the first time was probably 10 years ago or so. Revisiting it now was still just as convicting because of some of these um, facts that we're going to go through. So first of all, anger is not always sinful. Okay, everybody knows the verse or has heard it used at different times. Be angry and do not sin. Okay, that sentence is very easy to say. It is much harder to actually do. And so because of that, that righteous anger that God uses, because God gets angry, he doesn't sin though. We know he, he never sins, so he can be angry and not sin. And the fact of the matter is, we're, it's very difficult for us. 
And so that kind of righteous anger, we're going to take, acknowledge that it's possible, but set it aside because most of the time that's not the anger that we're talking about. Um, so the second part is anger is always a response to something or someone. Typically, we don't just show up, wake up, and be angry, right? Something causes it. And it's not that there's um, a response, or I'm sorry, it is a response to whatever that thing is. So the second, the, or the next one, I'm sorry, is no one else causes us to be angry. The situation becomes our occasion to be angry, but the cause is still us. It's our response, our choice. And the cause lies within us. It's usually something like pride or selfishness or one of my favorites is the desire to control things and your situation and know you can do these things and this will be the outcome. And when that doesn't happen, how do we respond? So that's what we're talking about with anger. It's the, essentially the emotion that comes out of our heart when we don't like something, right? And the cause may be different. Like I, I said a few, but for each of us, it takes different forms. But the result is the same. We don't like what happened. We don't agree with it or we don't um, appreciate it or it's an inconvenience and it makes us upset. It makes us angry. And see, that's uh, humans working in the design of God when he created mankind. It was in the likeness of God. Because that's the same response that he has, only his is to sin. Now, it's hard, it's, I'll say, impossible for us to imagine, but if you are the all-knowing, sovereign God of the universe, and this little, tiny creature you made sins against you, you're going to be angry. But he's completely justified because he's perfect. And that's the difference, is we're not. We're all the same, and if one of us does something to the other, there is no rank or, or, you know, level or anything like that. We're all even. God's the only person that's not even. And so for him to be angry is just, he's, he's allowed that. For us, we, we just, we don't do that. Because we're not perfect, because we're not him, we're not sovereign over the universe, but we often act like we think we are. And so we get upset and we get angry at, at situations or people. Proverbs 15:18 tells us, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. And I think just those, those two that are being compared there gives us a good idea of where we usually fall on this. So when we see anger in our lives, there's usually a lot of contention. It's not something where my anger is going to make the situation better. You know, it's going to make it more calm. Everyone's going to be chilled because I'm angry. It usually makes everybody upset or, you know, you just feel awkward. Like, I just need to not be in this room while this person is angry. But it, it's often small things that lead to this anger. 
even if it's between family members or the people closest to us or somebody we don't know, you know, like the person who unknowingly cut you off, who we assume they totally knew what they were doing. They knew that it was me driving. They knew they wanted to cut me off because it would frustrate me. And now I'm going to be upset for the rest of the morning. Like that's how we handle it. And we get so upset at people. We think, how did you even get your driver's license? And that's just one example is driving and people, how that goes for our days. All of these truths should make us want to overcome anger. Because it, it never, because of how rarely we handle it like God, anger just causes a lot of friction, causes problems, causes awkwardness, and hurts, injures relationships, if not breaks them. So how do we deal with our anger? Um, these are all answers from God's Word. I'm going to give you the verses. They're in the U version. Um, but that's really what we're, we're going by today is just what God says. Um, so there's not a lot of what, what Bill says, like the Bill version of the Bible. This is God's version. So first, we need to recognize and acknowledge that our anger is sinful. So like I said, the chances are we're not angry the same way God is. Now, to be clear, it's possible it's just not very likely. So the Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, 11, uh, fools vent their anger. Okay, so when anger comes out and it's not in a righteous way at sin against God, the Bible calls that being a fool. And this is just the one verse. There's plenty of them in Proverbs that tell us that fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. James 1.20 also says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What we see, we start to look at these verses together, is that letting our anger come out, it's, it's not only foolish, but it's, it's not producing that righteousness that God's looking for. We often think it is. Like, we're going to fix this situation if I get super angry. I'll just be honest. My son is my witness because my wife's in the back. Uh, he knows I've tried to do that because it was directed at him. And I think if I just get loud enough, you know, or, or scream some more, or just direct this energy at him, then he'll stop being disobedient or disrespectful or whatever. And the Bible clearly tells us that that does not produce the righteousness of God. So we have to recognize that our anger is sinful. It's sinful. The Bible tells us that. God tells us that. And in the moment, we may not recognize it, but shortly after, we usually do. We know, and we regret it. We feel bad. And that's signs that we know what just happened was wrong. So number one, recognize that our anger is sinful. Number two, look to the sovereignty of God. Whenever we talk about the sovereignty of God, the example that comes up is Joseph. In Genesis uh, 
37 to 50, something like that. Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and he was dad's favorite. Now, parents, we're not supposed to do that. Somebody just didn't tell Jacob, but he clearly had a favorite. Um, he, he'll tell you, someday in heaven, he was my firstborn from my wife, Rachel, and I loved her the most. She's the one I wanted to marry. They tricked me. But still, like, you don't, don't have a favorite, okay? But Joseph was the favorite, and the brothers all knew it. And that's the hardest part. So they didn't like him, and they decided they were going to get rid of him. They wanted to kill him. And the one brother convinced them all, we can't kill him. Let's just sell him to slavery. Let's send him to Egypt. He'll be a slave. Because that's a lot better than killing him. So they did. And years later, they come to Egypt looking for food because they have none. It's a famine. And they don't even know it, but Joseph's the guy in charge. And so when he finally reveals himself to them, you know what he says? It was not you who sent me here, but God. And later on, on his deathbed, he would tell all of them, you guys, you meant evil for me. You meant evil for me, but God meant it for good. Now, how many times does something bad happen and we think, oh, this, this situation, this pain I'm going through, this struggle for Joseph, these 13 years I was a slave. Oh, you guys meant bad, but God meant it for good, so I'm okay with it. We can't even do that, like I said before, about uh, traffic jams or getting cut off in traffic. Like, oh, it's okay. God meant that for me to be delayed for some reason. And so that example of Joseph shows us when we look to, when we kind of take ownership and acknowledge the sovereignty of God, it puts things in perspective of what we're trying to control and how we want things to go. When we realize that God knows he doesn't necessarily, he, he never tempts us. He never tries to cause us to sin. But he allows things to happen in our lives that we respond to. And it's to see how are we going to grow and live and change and become more like Christ. How are we going to respond? He wants to see that. The third one is that we would pray that God would enable us to grow in love. Um, this is the exact opposite of what we're talking about. Instead of responding in anger, we're responding in love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. These passages are telling us that if we want to forgive sin, if we want to overlook sin, if we want to like just sweep it aside and like, not say it's okay, but forgive it. It takes love. Loving people around us. And that's why it hurts so much when our anger is directed at our family. These are the people that we say we love the most. And yet we get more angry with them than we do with other people oftentimes. More frequently. And so we have to be able to grow in love. We have to allow God to do that. Because the last step is to learn to forgive as God has forgiven you. We've heard these phrases before, these verses. Uh, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13 says, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So the Bible reminds us over and over, 
you've been forgiven. As Christians, we've accepted God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So we've been forgiven of so much. And the Bible tells us if that's happened for you, then you can turn around and forgive others. And so that brings us back around to our passage from the beginning. Our servant, who was very angry, was so upset, he choked his fellow servant. I still can't get over that, like my whole life, that story. He just chokes them. Like I would sometimes wish I could just walk around and choke people. That's anger. Imagine if that servant would have done these things. What it would have looked like, real quick. If he acknowledged his sin... We said before, anger stirs up contention. Well, they were contentious right away. Remember, he just jumped on the guy and started attacking him. Look to the sovereignty of God. He totally missed the big picture. That was the point of Jesus' parable, but this guy totally missed it. He was just forgiven of a debt so much greater than what he was being asked to forgive. And he lost sight of that whole big picture prayed that God would help him grow in love. He was not showing any love, right? So if he grew a little bit, that would be more than what he had before. And then lastly, he would have learned to forgive as God had forgiven him. Like I said, he had just been forgiven a debt that could not be repaid. There was no, no way he was paying his debt, and he's holding this guy accountable for an actual debt that could have been paid with some work. So this is how God wants us to think about our anger. Our response to the small slights or common situations that come up in life. Our anger is born out of an unforgiving heart. I said before, things like pride and selfishness and desire to control and things go against that. It hurts our pride or it's not how we want it, so it's it's against our selfishness. And that's our response. We respond in anger by choice, instead of being willing to forgive and show grace, whether that's another person or a company, you know, a utility or whatever it is, we just hold on to our anger. And this runs completely counter to the forgiveness and grace that God has shown to us on the cross of Jesus Christ, because our sin debt is even greater than the servants in the story. Six to eight billion dollars that he could not repay. Our sin does not have a monetary value. It sentences us to hell because it separates us from God. He can't have sin in his presence. He won't. There never will be. And even though we're that sinful, when we ask God into our hearts, we fall on our knees and we say, have patience. I will pay you everything. And again, that sounds just like these servants. And Jesus says, you don't have to. I already did. It's not possible for us to to pay for our sin. Look what Psalm 130 says in verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, that means like keep track of them or, or keep count of them, Lord, who could stand? None of us could. There's not anything in our life that that would show we have a chance of standing up to God, keeping track of our sins. But with with God, there is forgiveness. There's forgiveness. Did you catch that? We all have this sin debt. It's part of our nature, regardless of your age, 
your race, all the other things we use to categorize everybody. We are all sinners. But with God, there is forgiveness. He knew we had that need. He sent his son to live a perfect, sinless life, to die on the cross in a way that we never could. Even if I went through that, that same death, it wouldn't have forgiven anything. And Jesus did that, and then he rose again. And that resurrection is what gives us hope to overcome our anger. Because through the Holy Spirit, God enables us to replace anger with forgiveness. We have to be willing to do the work. It's, it's much harder to not be angry than to just let it explode out. And so we have to recognize our sin, recognize that our anger is sinful. Look to the sovereignty of God. Remember that big picture that He is in control. Pray that God will enable us to grow in love and learn to forgive as God has so greatly forgiven you. Because through Christ, we can live like Christ. That's what his resurrection does for us. That's why we say, risen to walk in newness of life. That comes from him. And instead of being angry, we can respond to injustice and unfairness with forgiveness. Instead of being angry, we can respond to injustice and unfairness with forgiveness. And we might not handle it like God, so we leave that to Him. We let Him judge, let Him dole that out. We trust Him. One more time, instead of being angry, we can respond to injustice and unfairness with forgiveness. Let's pray. God, I just come to you again just so humbled that you, just that you care enough about us to, just to share your word with, with mankind, that we have it and can use it to work in our hearts, to let you change our lives to become more like your son. God, I'm so thankful that you love us enough to do that, to meet with us, and that we have the opportunity to worship you, to sing to you, to study your word, to teach it, to hear it, to let it take over in our hearts and in our lives, God. I pray that you would help us to be a people that are forgiving, that aren't angry, don't hold things against people, don't fly off the handle at the littlest slights, but that we would be forgiving and gracious to the people around us, God, that you would help us to do that so that people would see the difference you make in our lives. We just thank you again for this, this church, this place to, to worship you and to, to be together, and I pray that you would bless everything that's been done today that's going on in our church. We thank you for Christ and our salvation in him, and the ability to overcome our sin and our anger through him. We pray in his name. Amen.